Okay, you probably see my face reflecting. <laughs> I'm just wearing a face shield. Okay. All right. Uh, but first, before we go into the message, uh, uh, a short word about uh, a few things to remind us as a church. Uh, firstly, let's continue to pray that there'll be no COVID-19 or dengue affecting any one of us who are part and parcel of BBTC, who are plugged into the body life. All right? We don't take this for granted. We make the Lord our shield, our fortress, our refuge. No COVID-19, no dengue will come near us or touch us. Okay? This is our standing upon the Word of God. Um, increasingly, you find these words, we are an, in, an on-site church, meaning we meet on-site. Of course, we are subjected to the regulations. But we are also simultaneously an online church. Right? We are both an on-site and an online church. And therefore, we must gather. We must gather on-site. We must gather online uh, in a variety of ways, as often as we can and as permitted by the law. Right? I know of various classes and cell groups. Uh, let's say there were 15 people. They met in three different homes, five each. All right? And then thereafter, the cell group meeting, they'll go out for, for a meal uh, after the cell group. So be as creative as possible. Important to gather. Don't be alone. Okay? Uh, since five weeks ago, we began our in-person services at the beginning of July. And um, the question is often asked, why must we gather in person? Can't I just worship God alone on my home? Okay, uh, A few reasons. Number one, because the Word of God says so. Hebrews 10.25, let us not forget the assembling of ourselves together. Right? And here together is very clearly and so much more as we see the Lord coming soon okay, and together in person. Uh, so we come in clean, we go out clean as we gather. All right? Uh, do not entertain fear of the virus. Of course, we use our common sense. Be as wise as possible. We come in clean, we go out clean. Be safe, all right? Uh, wash your hands at all the advisories. Uh, we gather by faith. Don't get stuck with the comfort of staying at home, all right? Stuck in our pajamas, in our shorts, our t-shirts all the time. Uh, it's a discipleship issue. It takes discipline to dress up. It takes discipline to transport. I'm sure during the circuit breaker, during phase one, uh, a lot of people tell me they have not washed their jeans, they have not... Uh, uh, well, the, the, the tailored pants or the long sleeve shirt, all right, they are all in our casual clothes. Okay? So it takes discipline to dress up, to transport, to stand to worship with fellow believers uh, in person. We need to take up this good habit of regular church going, all right? whether in your cell groups, in your classes together, or in person here in BBTC. The second major reason is there is a corporate anointing and blessing. Jesus says, where two or three gathers in his name, there he is in our midst. And when he's in our midst, all right, we speak to each other. When we are filled with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Word, we speak to each other with spiritual songs, with psalms, with hymns, seeking and making melody with gratefulness in our hearts together. All right? And those of us who have been gathering, this is the fifth weekend. Uh, there's a world of difference between uh, worshipping God alone and worshipping to fellow brothers and sisters. The other major reason is we gather together to break bread. Those of us who are a bit older, we know we are an open brethren church, and we use this term to break bread, basically to partake of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, and we do that together. We do that together. Uh, and when we dwell together, the Lord commands the blessing, Psalms 133. He commands the blessing, the corporate anointing flows down, all right? So our in-person gathering as a church is a corporate celebration of our God. Today we have 50 people seated, uh, excluding staff and excluding volunteers, uh, a corporate celebration of our God. And we are a testimony to the world. 
Okay? And thirdly, it is a discipleship issue. We are told to remember the Sabbath day. We are to set apart a particular day, a particular time to remember the Lord, to keep it holy, to keep it separate. The psalmist says continuously, a day in your cause, Lord, is better than, than a thousand elsewhere. And we express it by coming together. Uh, the psalmist says, I was glad when he said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us encourage each other. Psalm 27, for that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. But we thank God in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is in us. We are dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, all right, it's so important to come together. So this in-person gathering uh, is like the beginning of the larger church coming together. Now we are permitted 50. Uh, as you know, there's just an advisory this coming Tuesday for weddings. Instead of now 20 or 30, then you can go up to 50 guests. Okay? So gradually the numbers will be increased and it's like a rehearsal. All right, uh, to begin. So we need to all the machinery uh, and the system of the church, all right, uh, and to prepare ourselves. Now, exempted from this in-person gathering, very clearly, are those who are not well, don't come, all right, stay at home, recover. Those parents with young children, very young children, there's no KFC, all right, and the very elderly, all right. Uh, you notice here, we don't specify the number. So you consider yourself very elderly and vulnerable, don't come. Okay, today's message, part 6 of Priests and Kings, is about speaking to your mountain. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we look into the Word, which you help us by the Holy Spirit to know, to understand, and to apply it, so that we may be overcomers, priests and kings, always blessed to be a blessing to others. We commit this time to you with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Speak to your mountain. This whole series of Priests and Kings, we'll probably do one more part uh, sometime in September, part 7. Uh, but essentially, the summary of Mark 3, 14 and 15 is, number one, the Lord called us to be with Him. The Lord called us to build a deep relationship with Him. And then He called us to do three other major things. Share the gospel, have power to heal the sick, and have power to cast out demons. These are all priestly and kingly functions. The disciple in BBTC is defined as a priest and as a king. We don't change it. This is our mission statement. This is our vision. Every year, every month, we grow to become a more effective disciple, a more effective priest and king. And this is our DNA. All right? What is BPTC all about? Making disciples, making priests and kings, men and women after the heart of God. Why? Because we are living in the end times. I've shared uh, in various platforms in the last four months or so, uh, there have been various themes the Lord has been impressing upon me. And one of the themes I've been studying uh, a fair bit is the time of the end. The phrase that is used in the book of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel did not have the revelation. The Lord says, seal up the books until the time of the end. And you notice in the last 30, 40, 50 years, there is increasing revelation. I'm increasingly more and more convicted that the rapture can happen as soon within the next two to three years or as late as the next 12 to 13 years, all right? I'll talk about that and develop that next year. Uh, alongside this other study I've been doing about the mysteries. There are seven mysteries mentioned in the New Testament. And along with that, the order of Melchizedek and the finished works of Christ on the cross. It's so exciting as you get into the Word, all right? So what is happening is as we enter to the end of the end times, there will be increased demonic activity. I'll talk a bit about that a bit later on. Look at what is happening in the U.S. 
In fact, I was just having dinner with a couple of friends with children in the US and they're making plans to move the children back to Singapore. Right now, what you see is there'll be increased lawlessness, there'll be increased violence. It's going to get worse, okay? I don't know whether Trump is going to be elected or not, but if he is, well, we may have a little more window uh, for the kingdom, the kingdom values to, to, to uh, work itself through the system. And if not, we're already seeing uh, a big manifestation of this lawlessness. The verse that comes to my mind is Psalms uh, 11 verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of righteousness are destroyed, you'll be the like the time in Jeremiah and Ezekiel where God says, I only hear the prayers of Noah, Daniel, and Job. They were saved by themselves. It is doomed. It's too late. The bowls of iniquity is near full. And Jesus has already said this very clearly in prophecy that as iniquity builds up, all right, there's increased demonic activities. But the church that is ready for the Lord's coming, that's why we talk, we talk about ourselves thriving. We don't just survive, we thrive as priests and kings. So, a quick recap, every believer in the New Testament is a priest and king. Uh, Revelations 1, 5 and 6, Jesus made us kings and priests to Father God. This is one of the mysteries we're going to talk about next year. 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Revelations 5, 10, Jesus made us kings and priests to reign on the earth. Okay? Um, therefore, for us to be effective priests and kings, we must walk very closely with God. We must develop our relationship with God. And this requires intentionality. It takes time, effort, energy, resources to build our relationship with God. And it is a journey, and why we gather is to encourage each other. And I've been very encouraged uh, again and again to walk closer with God, to know the deep things of God, to understand the times that we are living in. The disciple as a priest ministers to God. And it's very core, because the Father God in John 4, 23, 24 is seeking true worshippers. I don't want to tell you about that. We've been talking about that over the years. Anointed worship, we minister to Father God. So when we come together corporately, we give our hearts to Him. We present ourselves as living sacrifices. We submit to Jesus as our Master. We yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We do not lay any confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3.3. 3. Whether it's music, whether it's pre-recorded, not recorded, or we worship God in spirit and in truth. We minister to God. And secondly, as a priest, we minister to each other. We minister to men. 1 Peter 4.10, very clear. We have all received gifts from the Holy Spirit. Minister to one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. We administer healing. We administer comfort. We administer mercy. We administer by giving financial resources. We minister by just accompanying someone who is down and out. We minister when we are sensitive to someone who is going through depression. We minister and administer the comfort, the peace, the love, the grace of God in all its various forms. What does it mean to be a king? This is the creation mandate in Genesis 1.28. God says you should rule over the entire earth. You should subdue. You should take dominion. These are words of a king. God gave earth to men. Psalms 115.16, the highest heavens belongs to God, but earth He has given to men. What is our earth? Our earth are specifically our areas of jurisdiction, our lives, our homes, the people who cross our paths, 
the places where we work, our circumstances and situations. Not somewhere else that is totally nothing to do with you, that is outside our sphere. All right, very clearly. As kings, we speak to the mountain. And the, today's passage is based on Mark chapter 11. And for context, let me just quickly go through verse 12, Mark 11. Uh, the next day, Jesus came out of Bethany. He was hungry. Uh, he saw a fig tree. He was hoping to find something to eat. He found nothing but leaves, verse 13. And verse 14, in response, Jesus said to the fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. The next morning, they passed by. Verse 20, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Basically, have the faith of God. Verse 23, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Mark chapter 11, all right? What is the background to Mark 11? This is the last week of the earthly ministry of Christ. Every day, Jesus and his disciples will walk from Bethany to Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives, down the trail towards Jerusalem. In Jerusalem for the day, and in the evening, he will go back to Bethany for the night. And one day en route, Jesus was looking for figs to eat, and there was none on the tree but leaves. Jesus then spoke to the fig tree, no one will ever eat from it again. The disciples heard it. It's very interesting why Mark recorded the disciples heard what the Lord said to the fig tree. The next day, the disciples saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Alright? Now, it's always important to know the context. We cannot speak to the physical mountain to be removed. I was just remarking to a friend the other day, thank God over the years, I have the privilege of traveling, all right? Whether it's to the Rocky Mountains of, the, of Canada or Switzerland or to New Zealand, you see these big gigantic mountains. No way can you speak to the physical mountain to be removed. What is this all about? This is about a lesson on the prayer of faith. <clears throat> Study the context. It's a lesson on the prayer of faith by speaking to the mountain problems of our lives. That's what Jesus says. When you pray, you start out by having faith of God and so on and so forth. Restudy the passage. So, number one, we need to know what is the mountain. Our mountain has a name. Is it a sickness? Is it oppression? Is it constantly a freak accident? Persistent financial troubles? Worries? Dangerous situations we are constantly tripping ourselves over? Constant relationship problems? Spiritual dryness? Health challenges? Constant strife, worries, work difficulties. It's like everywhere you go, you hit a wall. If you're constantly hitting a wall, that is your mountain. We all have mountains. Some of it are hopefully are hills, right? but we all have different mountains. So the mountain is any obstacle that blocks the specific grace of God from coming to our lives or that of someone else we are ministering to. Okay, so the principle is about mountain-moving faith. It is something that we encounter that blocks the grace of God from coming into our lives, if it is for ourselves or for somebody we are ministering to. So the grace of God is everything that we need in life. We need salvation, we need deliverance, we need healing, we need revelation, we need the knowledge of God. We need to be alleviated from poverty. Over the last three, four months, we have various mission partners 
from Nepal to New Delhi to Indochina to Togo to Africa, uh, where they wrote. And recently, the last one was this guy from Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon is really in the pits of wars, and there's famine. And the Lebanese pound has lost 90% of its value. Inflation has skyrocketed. And one of our mission partners, there's a contact of mine uh, from a previous ministry, wrote, I mean, they're all desperate. Thank God we are in such a privileged position to give something. And it meant so much to them. For many of them, we're talking about, is we're talking about bread and butter issues, buying rice, buying oil, all right, and all the basic necessities. That is their mountain. They are facing these difficulties. And what do they need to do? They need to the grace of God. The mountain has always got to do with people, ourselves or people we're ministering to. Okay? We don't talk about mountains that are nothing to do with us. And for this, I want to remind us, never take on a demon principality idol in and of itself. Never take on a demon principality in and of itself. It is always in relation to people. Why? Okay, a quick recap here. Because there will be consequences when we violate the boundaries of our authority and power. There will be consequences. 2 Peter 2 verse 10 and 11. Those who walk according to the flesh and who despise authority. People who constantly despise authority. Bosses, employers, governments. And then the... Demon, the demonic spirit world, you are in a very vulnerable position. We are presumptuous, we are self-willed. Uh, verse 10 there in 2 Peter 2, <clears throat> they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Verse 11, he says that angels who are greater in power and might, angels are more powerful than us, we are made a little lower than the angels. They are greater in power and might, they do not even dare to bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Right? The last, uh, I think, part four, part three, we talk about that. More examples. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says we will not boast beyond measure. Within, we need to work within the limits of the sphere God has given to us, God has appointed us. Illegal terms, it means we must have local standi. You must have a standing to go to court. You must be one of the parties involved being sued or you are defendant, all right, you call by court, and the court says you can come and appear, we must have local standby, all right, talk to the lawyers. Uh, you may buy 20,000 DBS shares, all right, but you are a shareholder. You have no right to go into any DBS bank and command the management to clean the toilet or to cut queue and so forth. You can no local standby, okay? Uh, you may be uh, whatever it is, but if you're not the owner of the company or the management of the company, you cannot do at will. Uh, when I preached this message in May and mentioned this principle, uh, one of the brothers came to me. <clears throat> he says, I uh, have been a believer for a long time. This whole episode has been a mystery ever since uh, that weekend when I heard SP expounding on priest and king. Uh, he says, what happened was never take territorial spirits in and of itself. He faced a backlash. He went on a mission trip just two years ago, 2018 to a part of Indonesia and with his cell group. And what he did not know was he learned from his previous church. He went to a hillock and started to address and rebuke the principality of the territorial spirits. He said, within hours after I returned to Singapore, and I met him about a month ago at one of our WNIs with another pastor, I woke up with cold sweat. I vomited 20 times. My wife rushed me to hospital. I had diarrhea about 10 times. My blood pressure was dangerously low. 
And despite all my suffering, I thank God for my cell group that prayed and interceded and stood in the gap for me. He suffered immediate backlash, similar to all the examples I gave in the previous message. There was a lady intercessor in our midst, this is about two years ago. She was invited with a group of intercessors to go to East Timor. And there's a particular place where a Christian businessman wanted to build a huge hotel. But for the last, as far as I know, I've been there in over five years ago, three times within a calendar year. They've yet to build. Because on this particular uh, land, there are trees, and on the trees, what is hung on the trees are fetuses. She is an intercessor from Singapore. She's got no jurisdiction. She's got no locus standi to rebuke any demons there. And she, she knew that. She said she learned well in BBTC. And therefore, it required the local pastors to take authority over that place. You must have local standing. Similarly, I shared the incident of a, a particular Christian kindergarten not too far from here, where it's been cursed by a particular group uh, in the middle of the night. And they will try to call intercessors for the church. But who has the biggest authority? The principal of the kindergarten. When the principal of the kindergarten all right, repented of what they did, the complaints about the kindergarten, have their, whatever they did wrong under the blood of the Lamb, received forgiveness from the Lord, have their sins cleansed and covered, and then she rebuked, and then the curse broke. Locusts stand by, very important. Just the last week, I had a call from another brother who was asking this whole question about the seven mountains. And we've talked about the seven mountains or the seven gates. I know this originated, originated with various people, whether it's YWAM or, or crew. All right. uh, one of the ways we ought to pray, I was just, he was just asking questions. I say always pray for people in the gates. Don't ever think you can take on the principality over that particular mountain, whether it is arts and entertainment, whether it's business and technology, whether it is government. All right? You can forget about addressing the principality. You're gonna, you will get into trouble. Similarly for Singapore, we just had our elections. What do we pray for? Don't pray for parties in general. Pray for the specific individuals. Which is why when the pastors gather, we pray for the ministers by name. We pray for the candidates by name. For God's hand upon them. Finally, there was this group. Uh, you remember some years back in the, in the 90s, uh, where they went to Turkey, to a place called Ephesus. And those days, they were emphasizing the 1040 window. That within the 1040 window, it comprised X number of religions, X number of principalities. There were 30,000, 40,000 intercessors who descended in Ephesus and started taking on. And many of them went back home in the US, wherever they came from, and suffered consequences. What did Paul do with the idol of Diana in Acts? He spent one and a half years preaching the gospel. One and a half years arguing with them in the city. And that was dealt with. And there's so much under the coppersmith who, who made all these idols of Diana, of Artemis, all right, lost his entire business. We engage people. All right? It's always in relation to people. A question was posed, what about Ephesians 6.12? He says, and describe all the categories of the demonic world. Ephesians 6.12 is a description of our warfare with the demonic hierarchy. It is not a command. It is not the how-to engage directly with each category of the demonic hierarchy. What is the context? Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind. What is the context? Put on the whole armour of God to stand against the schemes, the wows of the devil. The how-to is in the other portions of Scripture, and this is so important. In this church, we emphasize both text expository 
as well as thematic expository. One young man came to me, how come when I went to Google, I cannot find answers to some of these questions, or I look at particular passages. No, you need to know the Bible as a whole. And that's what we try to do from this pulpit, teach the whole counsel of God. And it comes from a walk with God, a deep walk with God, a study of scriptures as a whole. Our authority and power are over ground-level demons that afflicts people in every way. We bind and cast out demons only in relation to people. Luke 10, 19, we trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Luke 9, which is equivalent to Mark 3, Jesus called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over demons, cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Context. Similarly, in Mark 16, 15, 17, and 18, go into the world and share the gospel. In my name, you cast out demons. In my name, you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Context people, reaching out to people. And therefore, <clears throat> when you go on a mission trip, <clears throat> what do you do? Pray for the people in the land, whether it's a tribal group, pray for the people in the villages, all right, that God will remove their blindness, their animism, their spiritism. When I go to Africa, there's the water spirit, same thing. We pray for these people. The God will remove, and then when they're under the spell and so forth, minister to them with the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Okay? Secondly, do not always talk about your mountain. The more you talk about your mountain, the bigger it gets. You may turn a molehill into a mountain. If you don't speak to your mountain, your mountain referring to the mountain's problems in our lives, the mountain will speak to you. All right? Some examples in the Bible, uh, the mountains will turn you. <clears throat> the mountain is, is the voice of the devil to accuse and condemn you. He says your marriage will fail. Today I had lunch with four leaders from a particular tribe. Three leaders from a particular tribe. And that's in the conversation, one of the subjects of the conversation were two marriages that we are aware of and the husbands have been issued a notice for divorce. And we're talking about believers. These three months, these four months of uh, the circuit breaker and the phase one is a tough time. If you live in a small place, a four-room HDB flat, six adults, five adults, four adults, and children learning online, people working from home, there's a lot of pressure. And we need to pray. And I'm just encouraging these leaders, we need to know our flock. We need to know our people. We're also talking about people who are struggling financially, being laid off and their jobs. The devil mock, you never kick the habit, your child will rebel, you'll never be healthy, you'll never get out of debt. You'll always be retrenched, you're always a failure, you're a hopeless hypocrite, nobody likes you. The mountain will taunt you, the devil will continue to accuse and condemn. In 1 Samuel 17, we have a similar incident, the armies of Israel and Goliath. Goliath insulted and taunted the armies of Israel. Goliath mocked the God of Israel. The armies of Israel were so afraid, so fearful, they did not speak to Goliath. Here was this gigantic nine feet over guy. And they spoke to each other about Goliath. And the more they spoke to each other about the size of Goliath, the more impossible will they encounter Goliath. And this is the problem. Maybe in part six, I'm going to elaborate this further. Oh, there's a way to pray better. There's a better way to pray. Pray more effectively. And unfortunately, many believers do not pray. We talk about prayer. We exaggerate and we amplify the problem. 
until it is an impossibility. And literally, you squash out and you squeeze out every residual ounce of faith remaining. And that's the problem. So in prayer, I was just thinking through, in prayer, what do we do? What are the uh, admonitions and encouragement in scriptures for prayer? Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly, confidently, so that we obtain mercy and find the grace for help. Jesus says, ask and you'll be given. Seek and you will find and knock and the door shall be opened. We need to ask, seek and not talk about the mountain. Focus on God's power and not the size of the mountain. So the same 1 Samuel 17, uh, David was not focusing on the size of Goliath. He was focusing on the size of Yahweh, of Jehovah. So as an example, you look at 1 Samuel 17. The soldier was saying, look how much bigger Goliath is than me. What did David say? How much smaller he is than God. The soldiers were saying, Goliath is too big to fight. David was saying he's too big to miss. <laughs> the soldiers were saying, complaining to God the size of Goliath, and David was telling Goliath the size. You come to me in the name of your gods. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sebav, the Lord of hosts. To have the faith of David requires what was he? What was David? He was a worshiper of God. It's so important to worship. The songs that we sang just now. Every time we give thanks and give praise, we amplify, we magnify. The Holy Spirit will magnify God and ignite and build our faith in our spirit, man. And when we grow in faith, there's nothing we fear. We develop the fear of the Lord. We fear no demons. We fear no men. We exercise our authority and power over the mountain by speaking to the mountain. There's a place for prayer as a priest, but there's a place where we must learn to speak to the mountain. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We speak to the mountain with our will, according to the word of God, by faith as a command. So speaking to the mountain is not speaking to God. Speaking to God is prayer as a priest. Speaking to the mountain is our commanding and rebuking the mountain as a king. Alright, a recap, we've covered this before. And I've showed you the, the video of the war room. The woman, when the husband was flirting around, she was in the prayer closet, she came out, she spoke. After she's prayed long enough, she cried so much tears until the revelation came to her. Submit to God, pray. Resist the devil. The devil is a mountain. Resist the devil, the war room. We exercise our authority and power over the mountain by speaking to it. Now we need to grasp this, believers. God will not do for us what He has already done. Finish at the cross. He will not do for us. Therefore, ignorance is not bliss. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Study again the finished works of Christ on the cross. Why do we have the Lord's Supper every week? I just reminded the staff uh, two weeks ago, don't rush into the Lord's Supper. Don't partake the bread and the wine all together and lump it all together. The bread is the bodily death of Christ. The cup, the wine is the shed blood of Christ. Jesus says, do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. To remember why he died bodily. It is very important why he died bodily. He came as man, like you and me. He said, it is in the will of the Father. He came and took on the form 
of man. Very important why he died bodily. It's a very important doctrinal truth, but a very practical, serious, significant implications. Which is why we flash the PowerPoint slide every Sunday at our worship service. The shed blood of Christ. Where we partake it, you may not remember all the seven reasons. You can remember each time two or three and have them remember. If you do it consistently over two months, it becomes a part of you. Have all the reasons why you partake of the bodily death and the shed blood, it becomes a part of you. Secondly, we, God will not do for us what He has already given us authority and power to do. He's already given us authority and power to do. It's finished. When Moses crossed the Red Sea, Moses cried out to God. God scolded him. Why are you crying out to me? What is in your hand? The rod. Authority. The Word of God gives us authority. Hosea 4.6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. The devil can never harm you physically unless you give him permission. What does he pry on? Get us to be distracted. Get us to be busy. Don't come to church. Don't meet in cell group. He will isolate you and you are easy made. We need to know our authority and power. And you notice in the armor of God, every piece is put on the soldier facing the enemy. There is no armor at the back of the soldier, so to speak. Nothing behind. Why? Because we always confront the mountain. We always confront the enemy. Because we always win. We fight from a position of victory. Why nothing at the back? Because we must have faith. God is our real God. He watch our back. When you trust in the Lord, He will watch your back. And therefore, we need to learn to speak, rebuke, and command our mountain. This is our discipleship journey. Initially, we may be struggling, but we need to come to a point and cross the 50% mark to be an overcomer believer. The jacket line you see on the left is when we are unsaved, the natural man. There's a point of time we receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We are born again. We are justified. Salvation passed. But from that point onwards, it is our discipleship journey. It's called our sanctification. So on the one hand, positionally, Paul says, I have already, we are crucified with Christ. We raised in life with Christ. But on the other hand, Paul says, I'm not already attained. So our whole discipleship journey is a journey of overcoming the evil one who seeks to steal, kill and destroy. It's a journey of overcoming the world the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and overcoming the self-life. The self-life is embedded in our Adamic nature. There are two streams of sin that will cause us to sin personally and we need to recognize this. The first is what we call, we need to overcome the Adamic sin nature, which is our sinful nature. We were conceived in iniquity. What is the Adamic nature? What did Paul says in the Bible in Romans 3? There is none righteous. There is none that does good. We are in, inherently selfish. There is none that do good. It requires the Christ nature in us to want to do good. In the Adamic nature, you won't forgive. Cain will kill the Abel. We want to kill our enemy. We want to kill our fellow brothers and sisters. That is the Adamic nature, the natural thing to do. You whack me, I'm going to whack you back. And not only will I whack you back, I make sure I paralyze you. This is the Adamic nature. Vengeance. 
And then there is the stream of what we call inherited sin. Now, in BBDC, we understand that. We call it the sins of the fathers with its resulting consequences, SOFCs. This is the particular traits that come through your generational line. The propensity to have sexual sins, adultery, fornication, mistress, pornography. One stream. Another stream, the inability to handle money getting into financial trouble, earning good money, but yet getting into debt and getting into financial trouble. The third trait, rage, anger, outbursts of wrath. All, right? All these are inherited, but they become and influence us and they become our personal sins as well. So we cannot blame our, the devil or the forefathers. But these are two shapes we need to be recognised. And this is all part and parcel of our working it out. They are part and parcel of understanding the discipleship journey. Don't kid yourself that the day you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, everything caught him, everything is done. No! Paul says we work out our salvation, Philippians 2. And that is discipline. It requires discipline. But we can't have the word disciple. So there, were, there are four applications we talk about so far, about priests and kings. The first one is relational evangelism. And the Lord has given us these keys. There are two major components about evangelism. One is keep on relating to the person. And the second part is to learn to pray strategic prayers. It's not, sometimes you think it's so easy, just stand one side and just pray that, that strategic prayer. No, the harder part is the relationship. Always the harder part is the relationship. Whether it's with your mother, your father, your colleague, your neighbour, the person you're reaching out to. The harder part is the relationship. It's always a fact of life. The second application is to resist the devil. And here it is a continuum. I don't know whether it's occurred to you, but every day we have to resist the evil one. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil. Every day the evil one wants to put lies, ungodly beliefs, the system of thinking in the world. And that's how we need to learn to resist. Take captive every thought in obedience to Christ. So it is a spectrum, it's a continuum, it's a journey. Daily resisting the devil's lies and ungodly beliefs. And on the other end, when we give ground, we get into trouble. We are demonically oppressed. I mentioned earlier on about lawlessness. Jesus said in Matthew 24, lawlessness will increase. And it's so evident in the US. And it's creeping into Singapore. It's creeping into the other parts of the world. Both on-site physically as well as online. You have online bullies. Online bullies, they have what you call the cancel culture. I don't like you, I will cancel you. I will incite a whole mob, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, to bully you online. And this is what's happening. We have a website in, in Singapore, a Christian website called True Love Is, where believers who struggle with same-sex attraction, they will come out and share their testimonies. But we have the activists on the other side, they don't like it. Okay, what do they do? They say this is conversion therapy and they mobilize the people to slam you. They appeal to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram to cancel you out. Recently, I don't know where you've seen the, the video where these ex, these people who are struggling with same-sex attraction, they come, came out to say, we exist. And what we encounter and experience is real. And there's a, there's a lot more, there's a multiple of them in Singapore. Don't even talk about the world. And this is what's happening in the US as well. What Dr. Michael Brown has been saying, when ex-gays, ex-lesbians 
have victory in Christ and have overcome their previous same-sex attraction. They're still struggling, but they are overcomers. They are testimony. But we need to wash out the culture today. Defund the police, tear down statues, everything about violence. You look at Portland, Seattle, Oregon. In fact, it is very scary reading some of this stuff, some prophecies, and some of the things have been downloaded from now till the year end in the US, in the cities. There'll be increased violence. And don't be surprised when shocked by it. The Lord has already said lawlessness will increase. And we thank God that we live in Singapore. Don't take that for granted. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the foundations in the US have been being destroyed over the last 30, 40, 50 years. They take prayer out of the school. They amend the constitution. They take the Bible out, all right? And then they start having this legalizing gay marriages, one thing after the other. Which is why in Singapore, we must ensure the boundaries remain intact. Remember why the boundaries are there, the law. And one of the descriptions of the Antichrist is that he will change the laws. And that's why, that's why we must keep on talking about defending Section 377A and so on and so forth. The application, these are the examples of prayer, resisting the devil, which is found in the earlier messages. Application number three, to rebuke sickness and disease. Application number four, to take authority over the environment of our situations. This was all in the earlier messages. As you speak to the mountain, do not doubt in your heart. That's what Jesus said here, uh, Mark 11 verse 23. We need to pray, we need to say, we need to believe, and then we receive. All right? Now, there is a problem here. And hopefully I'll address this in Priest and Kings part 6. Many a times in our mindset, we expect to receive answers instantly. But in reality, depending on the weight of the issue, the weight of the problem, and depending on who else is involved in your answered prayer, it may not come instantly. Especially when it involves the will of other people in the chain of the process. You see, God will never impose Himself on the wills of people. So sometimes we have to work through relationships. We've got to work through the problem, whether it's with authorities, government, whether it's with executives of lawyers or bankers or police or whatever. And that's why we need to learn how to pray and pray strategically. There is a time factor in the receiving. So our belief system, a quick recap. Every one of our belief system comprises two parts. Our faith, which is based on the Word of God, and there is an element about doubts. Okay? Doubts come when a thought, an idea, a picture, a belief that comes in the opposite direction to dilute our faith. And this is what happened to Jesus when He went back to His hometown. Mark 6, verse 5 and 6, He could not do mighty works there. And verse 6 of Mark 6, He marveled because of the unbelief. In Matthew 13, 58, He says He did not do many miracles. Okay? So, you combine, he could not do in Mark, and in Matthew, he did not do. Very clearly, the unbelief affects Jesus' ministry. And this is where the atmosphere is so important in the local church, the atmosphere in our homes. It must be an atmosphere of peace, of the presence of God. So we need to grow our faith. How? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. And how do we maintain our faith? The spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Whatever we believe, we speak. Whatever we believe, we sing. We give thanks. We praise. So giving thanks, giving praise, worshipping God, the words of song. You remember I shared twice this song by Lorraine Daigle. 
I, he says, he says, what did the word of God say? To be the one for is about the promises of God. Isaiah 55, 11 is about the word of God accomplishing his purpose. Psalms 1, 3, verse 2 is God exalting his word. Jeremiah 1, 12 is God will watch for his word to be performed. Proverbs 18, 21, you shall have what you say. In case you miss, alright, this PowerPoint slides will be on our website. And uh, let me give you an example. This is the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. First thing that happened is when she heard about Jesus, very important, we need to hear the Word of God. As we hear the Word of God, as we partake the Word of God, faith is ignited. And once we hear the Word of God, what's the number two action we need to do? Verse 28, For she said, Our mouths must align with the Word of God. We must say what the Bible says. We must declare what Scripture declares. And one of the best ways to do that is sing, sing, sing. Give praise, learn the songs. And thirdly, what should she do? She acted upon the Word of God. She came behind Jesus and touched Jesus. The third thing we need to do is go to God, encounter God. And this is the importance of gathering together. And fourthly, what happened to do? Let God do His part. She was healed of the issue of blood. At the same time, what do we do? Stuff our doubts. Don't speak your unbelief. The devil has no power over us except what we give him. The devil has no power over us except what we give him. The same principle. Don't take on the demon principality only in relation to people where we exercise authority and power. Similarly, the devil cannot suka suka randomly whack you, kill you, shut you, stab you. He can't. Ephesians 2.2 gives us the answer. He is the prince of the power of the air. He works through people. Same principle. He works through the sons of disobedience. Even the devil has to work through people. He cannot randomly do whatever he wants. Therefore, we are told in 1 Peter 5, he doesn't know everything. He has to go around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may still kill and destroy. And therefore, what do we do? Don't give the devil any ground. Ephesians 4.27 How? Always be quick to repent. 1 John 1.9 when the Holy Spirit convicts you of wrong, ask God for forgiveness. Don't go and argue. Matthew 5, Jesus says, when the enemy have an accusation on your way to the court, agree with your enemy. You may be 99% correct, one, but you are 1% wrong. Agree with the 1%. Appropriate the blood of Jesus to forgive, for forgiveness, for cleansing. Jeremiah 33 verse 8 says the same thing, Old Testament. For forgiveness and for cleansing. 1 John 1, 7, when we walk in the light, we will be cleansed by the blood. And Psalms 32 verse 1, blessed is the believer whose sins are forgiven and are covered. When our sins are covered, the devil has no ground against us. What's the bottom line? All we need is faith as small as a mustard seed. The devil wants to focus, you to focus on the size of your faith. Don't focus on the size of your faith. Focus on the size of God. Look to Jesus, the author and completer, the author and perfecter of your faith. We all struggle with our faith. Don't look at yourself. The devil wants you to look at yourself and your mountain and your problems. Jesus says, look to God. Have faith as a mustard seed. Say to this mountain, move, and nothing will be impossible to you. I came to church last night to pop in as usual every Friday night for the WNI. And 
the leader, prayer leader, Ed, Pastor Edwin, shared this song, The God of the Mountains. Wow, I thought, what a powerful song. I came to pay them a visit, and I picked up something, and I went back, I quickly connected white chair. All right, let's listen to this song and look at the lyrics of this song and let the Holy Spirit minister to you as you bring your mountain problems to the Lord. Let's have the song.
Jesus said again, have faith as a mustard seed and you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And Jesus said, it will move. God wants us to speak to our mountains. For those of you watching online, and those of you who are here in the congregation, would you just bow your heads as we close in prayer? I just want to give you a moment for the next 30, 45 seconds. Some of you are blocked, you are hindered by your mountain of a relational conflict. You've been battling it for a while. You've been praying to God for years. But today, the Lord wants you to not only pray, but as a king, speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain of obstacles. The obstacle may be yourself. Today at the lunch, we're also talking about people struggling financially. It seems impossible to get a job now in the current economic situation. It seems to be a mountain. Some of you are struggling with a mountain of a health issue. Just about last week again, I came across a couple, bumped into them in town. She was just seeing her, her specialist. She has cancer, struggling with this cancer for the fourth stage for the last four years, the last few years. Now in a season of, of recovering, and she just has to continually battle and speak to this mountain. Would you speak to your mountain? Would you identify your mountain? <clears throat> and then go to the God of your mountain and hear the word of God and then speak to your mountain and go to God like the woman with the issue of blood. For those of you online and on-site, there are some words of knowledge. There's a picture of a coffin awaiting burial. This message is for someone to forget past offences or causes of conflict and be reconciled. There's a picture of a whirlwind. Something happened suddenly that caught you by surprise. It caught you by surprise. You were off. You were not guarded. You were caught off-footed. The Lord knows what happened to you. He wants you to turn to Him. There's vision of a sharp sphere. Sharp spear. Someone is being headhunted for a job. This person is hesitant to go for the interview. There's vision of a diamond ring. Someone's unsure of whether to proceed with the wedding due to the COVID situation. Someone you feel very condemned. You is a lady. You blame yourself for your present problems. You think you made the wrong decision. If this word means anything, for those of you who are online after the service, I encourage you to go to the breakout room. There are numbers there to call. Let me just give you another 20 seconds as you bring your mountain to the Lord. And so, Father God, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this word of yours that nothing, nothing in our lives, nothing in all creation can be hidden from you. You know everything in our lives. You know our coming in and going out, our rising up and our lying down. Lord, you know the mountains that we face. Help us to be like David, Lord, and not like the armies of Israel. Not to just talk about the mountain, talk about the mountain, talk about the mountain. Help us to be like David to see you are the God of the mountains. 
and turn and incline, Lord, our hearts and our minds to you. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us, your bodily death and your shed blood. We thank you there is the power in the name of Jesus, the power in the blood of Jesus. And so we worship you, Lord, and we pray as we do so, we ask of you, Holy Spirit, to ignite that faith for each one of us to lay hold of you, Lord, and to speak to the mountain of our lives and to be overcomers. As we give ourselves to you with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.